Hello, everyone. Some of us were very nervous before PSG Napoli, and I was one of them. But nobody expected it would be a walk in the park for Napoli like the first half turned out to be. Well, we're going to discuss what happened and why. It's going to be a pretty grim podcast. This is PSG Talking. And James. Hello, Mel. Hello, James. Bonjour. How are you guys doing? Ça va. How's morale? Not All right. Just, just well enough. Just well enough. Yeah, we're still surviving. It's been, um, I've been a bit down, I have to say, <laughs> since the game. Um, that's probably not the only thing we're going to talk about today, but that's the main theme of the podcast. We'll probably talk about other things, um, uh, draw some scenario if Paris Saint-Germain cannot get out of the, the, the group. Um, there's a lot of stake and it's, it's kind of difficult to be a Paris Saint-Germain fan because there's so much drama in this club. So much uh, pressure, so much attention, so much hopes. Um, but before, there is, isn't it? Before uh, before we start, uh, we'd like to thank, as usual, our Patreons, our uh, Patreon donors, especially Robin Cheney. And uh, to remind our audience that you can listen to us on Football Nation Radio at www.footballnationradio.com, um, which is a 24-7 football talk. And I'm not sure there's many around the world. They're based in Australia, and um, it's, uh, it's pretty diverse and fascinating, the, the work they do. And of course, you can listen to PSG Talk on iTunes and Spotify on your usual platform. So we just probably watched the worst game of Paris Saint-Germain under QSI, not because the team didn't perform as much as we thought they would, even if they didn't perform, but because we got outplayed, we got outplayed like we we never thought it would be possible, and not only we got outplayed by by Napoli in a way we we couldn't think we could be outplayed, but by Napoli, not by Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid. Napoli is not that level. They are a solid club. Um, they are an experienced team, and we'll discuss. Um, what um, you know, experience and, and well-oiled uh, a team can do in the Champions League and, and what a non-well-oiled team cannot do in the Champions League. But again, Napoli is not a you know, semi-finalist or finalist or, or potential winner, at least not on paper, of the Champions League. So we got outplayed by the club, we thought, by a team, sorry, we thought um, couldn't do that. And that hurts even more. And we've seen déjà vu again. But this game was extremely, extremely telling. 
and extremely interesting. And it, it really shows us, it was like a revelator. We, we really know where we are now. There's no doubt. I made up my own mind. I rewatched the game. I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty sure what's going on. So before I uh, monopolize the, 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 the time as usual, I would like to ask you, um, both of you, how you feel, your feeling about that game. Um, who wants to start? I'll go ahead. Um, I've got three words to describe my, my feelings. Uh, uh, one is irritated because that was a very, very poor performance. Uh, the second is relieved because at least we didn't lose the game. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, maybe yeah. we avoid the uh, Europa League. And uh, the last one is hopeful because I feel like last year that is a game that we lose because we quit at the end. And uh, one of the things that I did take away is once, even after Di Maria saved us, they look like they wanted to take those last three minutes of extra time and go win it, which was something I'm hopeful about, something that I hope that our, our mentality is, is trending that way. Okay. Um, pretty positive, considering. How about you, Mel? I, I think James uh, captures where, you know, sort of at the end of our analysis, we want to end up. You know, you ask me how I feel, and I just want my club to look better. You know, I want my club to play better and, and be better. Uh, I want to see the effort uh, across the 90 minutes that I see from other elite clubs. Uh, you said, Guillaume, that you don't think we've, you know, we, we, we were outplayed. But, we you, you know, for most of the game, you'd have to play to be outplayed. You know, I don't think we even played. Um it's not hard to outplay us when the vast majority of the, the time we're, we're not playing. You know, I noted, uh, you know, in the minute by minute on Twitter, you know, in our, in our growing uh, English language PSG community, that the only time you know, PSG was really moving was when Napoli was in possession and that forced them to move. You know, if you go back and watch the film, after once we got possession, everything stopped. We we didn't even play. So, uh, you know, this team, uh, Napoli, uh, was, um, you know, winless away, but coming into the game. But they had had over three hundred minutes, uh, not conceding in European competitions. Correct. And then we still didn't do anything to change that. Rui. Ruiz's own goal changed that. Um, and and interestingly enough, uh, an own goal as a result of the only PSG player, to my mind, who was moving. So my, my, my answer is how I feel. I feel like I've seen portions of this before, but I do think that James is right in that very often after the 80th minute, uh, things used to trend the wrong way. And it was nice to see exactly what James described, which was after the go, it did look like we thought, oh man, we might come in here and steal this thing. Uh, and we did try to go ahead and, and be positive and try to do something positive at the end. But that's the only takeaway that you could stretch yep. to, to name from from this this mess that was the Napoli game. It was a mess, but again, 
I'm not sure uh, I'm using the right word in English. Uh, it was a revelator. You know, like the, the old uh, emotion. Yeah, a, re a revelation. Yes, a, re a revelation. You, 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 you take pictures uh, the, yeah. the old way on emotion. You, you, put that, you put that chemical reaction and suddenly you see the picture, your black and white picture appearing. That's exactly what happened against... In a way, they were perfect. Napoli to show exactly to the world what is going on at Paris Saint-Germain. And it hurts. It hurts like hell. But that's necessary. There's no... It's impossible to have the shadow of a doubt. So I'd, li I'd like to talk about what happened and why. So we can all agree that what happened is the there was two halves. There was a first half which was dreadful. We started well, the first 10 minutes. Um, there was um, an opportunity, we were dynamic. And then little by little, Ancelotti's plan um, took over. And his plan was to cut all passing lines aggressively, over and over, and block us, block us, block us, block us, crowd us, crowd us, crowd us. Prevent Neymar from coming with the ball and allowing Mbappe and Cavani to do their runs. They, they were playing low when they had to play low. They were very aggressive, Napoli, when we started passing the ball. And they would get the ball back and keep the ball away from us. We didn't have the players, the, the type of players that can get the ball back from this type of team and this type of midfield. When you have a guy uh, like Allen who's been the, the man of the match to me. And, and we knew Alan was Napoli's best player. I didn't realize how um, critical he is and how much he's got the perfect profile to destroy Paris Saint-Germain's whatever is left of its midfield. And, and he did. So we couldn't, we couldn't get the ball back. They had the possession when they wanted Um, when they decided to play low and wait for us in the second half, they did. And that's what they did to Liverpool. Um, let's remember that Napoli completely smothered Liverpool. Liverpool had one shot on target against Napoli in Napoli. One shot on target. They, they were completely smothered. Napoli is no joke. They don't have a great talent. But my goodness, they are probably the most tactic, um, tactical, um, most skilled tactically team in the Champions League, or one of the most. And they, um, they completely dominated us in the first, uh, in the first half. Um, second half, uh, Tuchel, uh, which, and we'll have to talk about Tuchel's performance overall, not only first and second half, kind of completely changed the setup, and we switched to a 3-4-3 with three central defenders. And then we started... Um, we, we stopped running after the ball. Then we had the numbers and also a little bit of the energy needed to start winning duels, start winning second balls, um, and play, like you said, Mel. And, um, well, we still got scored on, but we had a much, much better second half. Um, what really hap happened in the mind of Paris Saint-Germain players during the first half? I don't know. What you, how, how can we gauge what happened 
mentally to this team. Um, anyone wants to talk about the, the mental aspect? You said that there were good signs, like we, we didn't give up. But uh, to me, we sort of gave up during the first half, during like long periods of time. It, it felt like the team gave up. Did you have that, the same feeling? Mel? Yeah, I, I, I feel like we were um, tactically defeated uh, in the first half. I think there's no question. Now, it does bother me, and I know we're going to talk about Tuchel later, but it does bother me that every analysis that I was seeing of this game was telling us that Napoli was likely going to do to us what they, what they did, try to do to us what they did to, to Liverpool, as you described. There were no mysteries here. Uh, and that what would be required were runs that fainted uh, towards receiving the ball and then went long so that we could do over the top of the two lines of defense that Napoli had. And and to be frank, early on, we saw that. We saw a beautiful ball uh, that uh, Kylian Mbappe ran onto mm -hmm. that was reflective of that tactical response. And we were going to need to do a lot more of that. And I thought, okay. We're seeing the press, but we're seeing the cl a clear method of how to defeat that. And then we never did it again. <laughs> it yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and and I didn't understand that. And what it what it meant to me uh, was that um, we were going to see tactical adjustments by Tuchel and his his coaching staff at the halftime. We've seen it already this year, and I think we're going to continue to see that. But the leadership on the pitch to make tactical adjustments during the game during the match is absent. Um, and I talked a little bit uh, the last time I was on about leadership, about um, uh, Tiago Silva in particular. And what was interesting was you can't really talk about that in this match, but you can say that even in, in lieu uh, of a Tiago Silva, we lack the, the, the leadership that is, is able to make the small tactical changes during a match um, that uh, can make the difference because You know, when you see an effective strategy, effective strategy like that and you have somebody, there is not a single player uh, in world football who has uh, the acceleration of Kylian Mbappe. Not one. Not, not the real world. Um, and when you don't deploy that, uh, especially when you have to deploy it tactically, um, it means that you can't make the adjustments um, on the fly that you need to make to be successful. Uh, the only other thing I'll say is that, you know, you talked about uh, man of the match, but I, I thought that, you know, we knew uh, the folks that were involved in scoring, Insignia and Dries Mertens, who were involved, we knew uh, the what they brought to the table when the game started, when the match started. We knew. Uh, we knew that um, in the Champions League, Mertens was Napoli's engine. He had been in, directly involved in, in 15 goals. Uh, for Napoli since his debut, and that's six more than any other player. So he should have been on our radar. Um, and Insigne has scored eight, eight goals in 11 games for Napoli in all competitions, more than double of any of his teammates. So if I know that, and, you know, I have a full-time job, right? This isn't my full-time job. But for, for, for those folks for whom this is their full-time job, that type of stuff should have been uh, top of mind. And I just feel like um, our, that first half reflected uh, a lack of tactical adjustment on the pitch in particular. Right. Well, I, I was 
sort of trying to figure out what happened in their head when they were completely... I mean, there was a period in the first half where it, it was a walk in the park. We had never seen anything like it. We had seen very aggressive teams uh, getting the ball away from us, but um, spending a huge amount of energy in doing so. Uh, Lyon did that. Liverpool did that. Some uh, Nantes, uh, remember FC Nantes last season did that. Um, and then they run out of juice. Napoli did this with two fingers in the nose. That's a French expression. They, <laughs> they, they look completely comfortable doing so. And then, then I'm looking at my team and I'm looking at Rabio and Verity and they have no solution. And then that very uh, familiar feeling of dread is, is taking over. But like you said and what James said, normally this kills us and we disappear and we want to be... We, we want to become invisible and, and vanish in the void. But the team didn't give up. The fans, um, thank God for them, uh, were behind the team every second of the game. And the, the team pushed and, and, and believed. We were playing at home after all. And we found a way not to lose this game, which is, which is very helpful. But now we'd like... Uh, and James, um, I'm sorry, you didn't, you didn't speak much. Did you learn... Anything mentally about the team during this game that you didn't know about? Uh, that I didn't know about already? I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. Um, You've seen I it mean, before. I mean, I think it's, it's pretty apparent that when we get pressed, we panic. And it, it seems like we don't know what to do, which is, again, shocking to me. Because it, it's been a while since we've played a decent team that is not going to come out from the beginning and pressure us. So, um, no, I, I don't think I learned anything different, uh, at least from that first half. Right. So let's, let's talk about the setup and why Napoli was so efficient. And I'm, I'm going to give you my five cents. And, um, and, you know, of course, give me your opinion after that. So they, they played in a 4-4-2, a compact 4-4-2. Uh, Insigni and Mertens up front, and they are tricky forwards because they're not real pure strikers. They roam around, both of them. They're very, you know, they're not like that big physical striker who's going who's gonna to come up full axis and, and, and weigh on the defense. No, they, they, are, they are stealth strikers. They're fake nines, both of them. And we knew Kimpembe, really doesn't like this type of players. He loves the, the physical challenge a striker can, can give him. Uh, he doesn't like strikers who run away from him and always are moving around. He, that's, not, that's not his thing yet. And Marquinhos was supposed to be the boss of the defense. And, well, that didn't really work out. So we have Mertens and Insigne. And behind them, a big block. No geniuses, just solid but especially, um, I mean, solid everywhere. Physically, technically, tactically, mentally. No phenomenal players, but when you have a well-oiled group like this, and um, you, you would think that by losing their, their system player, who, uh, who went to, uh, to Chelsea, um, they would hurt in some aspects of, the game, like getting the ball back and passing the ball to the right person at the right time, they didn't seem to, to miss a Giorgino at all. 
I mean, I, I had a hard time believing how little they miss Giorgino. And, and especially when you see him play at Chelsea and how crucial he is playing next to Conte, uh, that was shocking to me. They didn't seem missing him at all. They had two key players in midfield. One, well, we, we already mentioned him, Alan, Brazilian. Um, the guy doesn't stop. He's everywhere. He's mobile, but he's strong. He's, uh, he's decent technically. He's sharp as an edge mentally. And he will not stop hitting you, getting the ball back, passing to the right guy over, over, and over again from the first to the last minute. And when you had Fabian, who had a decent, more than decent, really good solid game in midfield, and um, allowing uh, Hamsik to do his thing, against, against whom? Against Verratti and Rabiot, and Di Maria sort of helping. Well, we got completely dominated in midfield, and then we know we don't defend well on the wings. We don't have uh, fullbacks that defend well. Bernat and Meunier, especially Bernat, uh, don't defend well. And then, then we had the worst game by Kylian Mbappé. I've never seen Mbappé play like this. Not only he was toothless, um, as normally he outperformed, outrun, outdribble um, his defenders. This time he didn't. I don't know what was going on. But he didn't do the slightest, the slightest defensive run um, no defensive participation from Kylian Mbappé in this entire game. So now you have all wings completely wide open. Di Maria was playing as a left midfield in the first half, staying in his zone. Cavani was sort of pressing, but Mbappé wasn't. And Neymar was all over the place. So here we are, disorganized, slightly behind, a well-oiled machine that's going to step by step, get us out of position. We are a little behind. Um, uh, Alan gets the ball back. We are a little bit more behind. He gives the ball to Hamsik. We are a little bit more behind. And so on and so forth. And at the end of the passing, there were 21 passes before Napoli's first goal. 21 passes at Parc des Princes by a team, by, by the opposition team. They passed the ball 21 times and scored. In our garden, I've never seen that. We were completely outplayed. So this is my first set on what happened in the first half. While we were completely behind, I would like to, to hear yours. Oh, no, I, I had a quote um, that I thought about from the late Dennis Green. They are who we thought they were, and <laughs> we let them off the hook. That's right. They... There were no surprises here. We knew exactly what they were going to play, just like just like Mel said. We needed to expose the long ball, and when we didn't. Um, and as you said, Guillaume, I, I thought Mbappe's movement was stale. I thought every time he got on that he did get the ball on the Catastrophic. wing. Catastrophic. Yeah, it, and, it, and it seemed like he was trying the same move to get past him over and over again. And they were ready for that. And and like you said, he didn't help us on defense. I think that kind of played into um, Munoz's performance because there was a lot of times where he was kind of two-on-one back there. He had a runner going up his back, and he had one in front of him. And Rabio was nowhere to be found. Um, he was 
I, I don't know if he was being lazy. What he, he looked like he was just standing around. Um, I think Cavani has the yips. Even on that offside call, I mm-hmm. he missed and he immediately looked to the side judge to figure out to see if they, they he was going to save him That's by right. holding up the flag. That's yeah. what happened. Mm. Uh, oh, my frustration is is all is is just it's coming back. Um, Di Maria again. Uh, I guess he's you know he's ineffective for about eighty five minutes, but the five minutes that you get him is can be magical. Uh, who else do I want to talk about? Uh, Marquinhos just Marquinhos and Kimpembe both getting abused by Mertens for ninety minutes. Yep. But we, uh, we, we knew without no, Silva, we knew without Silva, it'd be, it'd be a big problem. Yeah, but, but, but Guillaume, you can't, you cannot, uh, I mean, you're right in that our best anticipatory uh, center back is Thiago Silva. But that doesn't uh, excuse Kimpembe and Marquinhos of being entirely bereft of any anticipatory skill set, right? And, they, they, can't, they can't walk around not knowing how to anticipate anything just because they have Diago Silva. I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, it was, we, we were, we were, balls were passed behind us so efficiently, it was pathetic. Sorry, James. Oh, no, no, no. To add to that, uh, if you watch the clip of, uh, of Kimpembe, of Merton's running past Kimpembe for that first goal. Oh, my God. Rabio points to him. As soon as he's about to make the run, Rabiot points and yells at Kimpembe that it's coming. And I don't know if Kimpembe didn't hear him. If he wasn't paying attention, he went to sleep and dude ran right past him, you know, 1-0 Napoli. Um, so, I mean, we've got to be better. And I don't I mean, even know what what else to say about our... Well, our I mean... It, well, I mean, one, one of the facts, things that, facts, that you facts. made clear... One of the things you made clear, Guillaume, is... Alain and the relationship, the competence oh my. Of, 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 of Napoli. The, 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 if you look at the triangle of uh, Calejon, Alain, um, Maximovic, that triangle was so efficient in the way they moved up and down the pitch. They knew what each other was going to do mm-hmm. every moment of that of that first half and halfway through the second half until they got tired. I mean, we scored at the end because they got tired because mm-hmm. they couldn't get to Di Maria. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's not a strategy. Right. And I really do believe that on the other side of the pitch, um, I would not shock me if Kylian Mbappe was told to stay high. It would not shock me if that was the direction he was given in the formation that we were in. Um, now I'm not making an excuse for him. It could very well be the case that he was because he, he does he did seem off. It just it could very well be the case that he just isn't, simply wasn't running back. But I would have more of an indictment for Cavani's performance and lack of track back because that is so out of character mm-hmm. for that player than I necessarily would have for Mbappe and the way that Cavani tracks back and then makes runs actually frees up space for Killian. Um, and so. Um, you you have Cavani not tracking back. You have moments where, yes, James, I agree with you. He did point out that run that was about to be made uh, to Kimpembe, Rabio, but there are other times where he didn't track back. Oh, most certainly. Um, and yeah, you know, yeah. it, it is it, it, to come out 
in a game that really a home match that if you want to be in the knockout stage of the Champions League, let's be clear, this is a home match you need to win. Right? You you're, you don't know what's going to happen when you go to Naples. Liverpool was last year's runner-up, and, and you already played, and they were demonstrably better than you, to be frank. Mm-hmm. You you don't know what's going to happen. So you got to go all out in this match. And, you know, I think, Guillaume, you asked the right question, which is how do we unearth the mentality of this team? Soup to nuts. Players on the pitch, the mentality of the of the the manager and, and, and his coaching staff. Because if we were to just evaluate it on the basis of what we saw, we'd have to say that this team is neurotic at best and broken and depressed at worst. Sure, but they had given us um, a lot of hope prior to that game in a new system that we had been expecting uh, for 2 three, one. Um, not against, you know, we, we were saying the system has to be, uh, tested and proven against much better position. And oh my God, oh my God, it has. Uh, but we were saying signs that everybody was, um, working a little harder, playing more as a team. Um, there was more energy. There was more joy on the pitch. We were starting to see systems that were working. We were starting to see the the, the blossoming of some uh, relationship between players. Um, Bernat discovering Di Maria and uh, Meunier, you know, who feels now like he's a starter, uh, understanding Mbappe a bit better, all that stuff. And it 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 seems that all that vanished, and we look like. Um, a, a, a crushed team during the first half with no solutions. Well, there are reasons why, and I'd like to talk about those reasons now. And I don't know. I don't know if you have your own opinion about it. But should I say that again? <laughs> Do I need to say that we don't have a midfield? We know we don't have a midfield. So when you play against a four-four-two team with two midfielders. They are going to need to be um, fully fit, fully motivated, fully prepared, and aware of the task ahead. I don't think Verratti and Rabio look like that on the pitch. No, they, not at they, all. They were not helped by Mbappé and very little by Di Maria against a very dynamic, very organized, very well-oiled, Physically, mentally, technically, midfield by Napoli. Um, that you would think PSG new staff would um, guess it can happen, and perhaps they, they, they of course they of course watch Napoli a lot. They know Napoli, they know Ancelotti, and of course, and they they have a full-time job and their full-time job is to do that. So that was, of course, on the table for days before the game. Are we going 4-2-3-1 or are we going 3-4-3? And remember the evidence of Napoli-Liverpool. That's, right? that's, that's the evidence right there. 
So everything went well uh, for Napoleon. Everything went poorly for Paris Saint-Germain. Now, let, let, let's say we come into 4231 well prepared, aware of what's going to be needed and fully fit. So Verratti hasn't been injured. Rabiot is not playing sick. And somehow, deep down, he reached into his couple of neurons, the, the defensive neurons. The, the neurons he's got in his brains that are like, yeah, I need, I need to track back. Oh, I should move my sorry, lazy ass back into defense instead of pointing at, you know, players, op- opposition players that are about to run away. Uh, I should make an additional effort. He, he didn't. Um, okay, he was sick. Verratti was hurt. Uh, Kimpembe, we've been talking about Kimpembe and he's, he's been on the bench in the French national team and he's a great um, potential. Uh, he's, he has great potential. He's, he's, he may be, in a few years, a really solid Champions League grade central defender. He's not yet. When Silva is, is not around, Marquinhos is supposedly the boss. And I'm sorry, Marquinhos fell as a boss of the central defense. So let's say Silva was back. Now we have a better anticipation of Mertens and um, uh, what his name's movements around, around the box in Signe. Now we are not a fraction of a second even more late than we were during the first half. Now Silva is organizing our defense. And we have a great Meunier that night. Meunier saved our ass, guys. Meunier, Meunier was... No un- oh my, thank you, Thomas. What a game Meunier had. He held what was left of the team together. Um, so back, back to the normal Paris Saint-Germain. We have Mbappé. And Mbappé is going to immediately humiliate his uh, direct opponent and create madness and mayhem. Neymar is anticipating. We had a, a weird action at the 10th, 12th minute. When was it? When Cavani tackled Neymar in the box. Remember that? Yeah, it was... Uh, it was a seventh, it was, seventh it was, minute. It was typical PSG. I said, typical oh my PSG. God, yeah. it would not surprise me if we kicked Neymar right out of the, out of the season <laughs> ourselves, right? After, after me complaining that we didn't take care of him and, and, and back him up after he was getting kicked up by the entire uh, world of football last year. <laughs> that would have been just oh my God. typical. But it, was, right it was scary, wasn't it? And Emma was down for like five minutes, holding his foot. Um, so Cavani was completely, completely, completely off. His runs were wrong. His first touches were wrong. So that's not the normal Cavani. I'm not even talking talking about the the Cavani that, that's doubting. You know, um, like uh, he, he can't, he, he cannot put it in, cannot score. But still, he has his run. He has his runs, and he's pressing and he's defending. None of that. That that was subpar, Cavani. Then we had subpar Mbappe. Um, Di Maria is not subpar. He's subpar within a whole. Like we said during a whole game, he can be subpar, and then he scores a, 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 a phenomenal goal. So let's put him out of the equation. We had a subpar variety, a subpar uh, uh, Rabiot. Bernard is subpar to start with. We had a subpar uh, Marquinhos. Kimpembe wasn't subpar. It just sucks at, at defending against this type of player. The only guy who stepped up... Oh, I'm sorry. We had a subpar Areola. 
Um, he came out of his uh, uh, of his goalie on the first yeah, goal. It's like I what? Don't know. I don't know uh, what he was doing. So a normal PSG would have struggled against uh, Napoli because look at what they did to Liverpool. We would have needed a lot of patience. They would have played low, um, uh, which is a good tactic for 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 two playing low against us in defense when they don't have the ball. They would have exploded our wings and and. Our defense would have been, um, you know, uh, very busy against them. It would have been a tough game. It turned out into a dreadful, horrific game because we had so many players not delivering, um, the, not playing at their normal level. On top of our issues of not having a dynamic um, midfield. I've been I've been talking for 10 minutes and I, I'm sorry I'm the host of this podcast. And it's like... No, I'm, I'm, it's I'm, fine. I'm, I'm sorry. Dudes, keep it up. The last this, time I was on, you weren't on, and I missed this. So. Okay. <laughs> um, I, again, it's critical to analyze this game and what happened well, during this game. But let me let, let me let me give you a hot sports opinion before you move on. Let me give you a hot opinion. I'm going to shut up for a while. I'm I'm going to say one thing, and then I'm going to I'm going to ask your guys' thoughts on it, and then I'm going to get out of the way. But um, when was the last time that you can recall? in Europe or in, in Liga that you saw the type of filthy, absolutely unlocks the defense pass from Verratti that he used to be known for in his early PSG career. When was the last time you saw that? Not that long ago. I've seen him because his role has evolved. His role has evolved a lot. Well, I think that I, I would argue that I feel like he hasn't been the same. Uh, he hasn't had the same impact for the club since that dramatic summer where he, mm. you know, in our effort to keep him from Barcelona, mm. he was moving towards, you know, arguably the most important player on the team mm. um, and the subsequent surgery. To then, you know, our acquisition of Neymar, our acquisition of Mbappe, and you know, Marco became a little bit of the forgotten cat, and I don't, I don't think he's been the same since then. He would give us four or five just filthy passes that would unlock defenses, and I haven't seen that Verratti since then, um, and I have some serious concerns. And and you maybe you're right, maybe that's what I'm missing, is that his role has shifted. Maybe you're right. But I can tell you that without that type of uh, of a Marco Verratti on the pitch, without um, uh, him producing those types of performances on a regular basis multiple times a game, then uh, opposing teams don't fear uh, the potential of our midfield the way they should. They should. Um, and as a result, they don't give the space that they should, which is space for Di Maria, Neymar, and Mbappe to run into. So I, I not only has the narrative that we've talked about from the very beginning of this podcast season, which is we need a number six of world-class quality, remain the truth. But, you know, among the midfielders we have, if we're not getting maximum performance, it's going to be really hard going forward. Sorry, James. I went longer than I even thought I would. But Oh, no, that's fine. Um I guess to to answer your question, uh, I think I lean more towards uh, Guillaume's side here. Um, 
although I agree slightly with both of you, I do think his role has changed. Um, and like you said before, it previously I you, you say Marco Verratti's name, and I would immediately think Maestro That's because right. he was he was pulling those strings. He's giving you those passes. He's he's setting us up for uh, amazing opportunities down on the the uh, attacking end. But now when I see him, I'm I'm thinking, well, who who's the guy on our midfield that's going to go win us the ball back? And right. I don't know. I don't know that at this stage right now, um, the way we have our midfield, the way uh, we are playing in our formation, that he can be both where he's tracking back, laying out for a full body tackle just to regain possession, and then uh, service a beautiful pass down the field. Um, You know, I I don't know. I'm not a tactician uh, per se, but I I don't know that he can do both right now. I think he needs – because I don't see Rabio being that guy that's actually winning us back possession. I I see him as the one that's trying to – when he does try, um, service our front three and he's no variety in his prime at that yet. So yeah, I, I think it's more of a role change than, well, it, it is, isn't it? Because variety has been, remember, so variety has been at the club for six years, seven years. And, uh, we used to say Mota variety and the whole QSI Paris Saint-Germain, was designed against, uh, around Mota Verratti, possession. Um, we don't have Thiago Mota anymore. We lost, and, and you know, he played probably two seasons too many. He ran out of steam as modern football becomes more and more physical. I mean, the physicality. Guys, watch a game from seven years ago. A Champions League game from seven years ago. Watch now. The physical intensity of, of 2018, 2017 uh, football teams. It's insane. So Mota played too much, too long, but it was Verratti Mota. And, you know, Paris Saint-Germain's Leo Tiki-Taka. When you have possession game like this, you can um, outplay a very aggressive midfield. But we lost uh, Mota. We never replaced him. Um, now we have to play without Mota and we're going to ask Verratti to, to do more defensive things because Mota, by his positioning, even if he didn't have the legs anymore, his positioning was crucial. He, he knew where to position himself to, to mitigate, to slow down the uh, attacking transitions of the, op- the opposition. It's an art. Verratti doesn't do that really great. Uh, it's not his... It's not his thing. He can do it, but it's not his thing. His thing is, um, is a possession game um, and, and long passing or short passing when it comes to the, to the square. Is he a defensive midfielder? No. Is he a number 10? No. Is he a number 6? No. He's more of an 8. But he doesn't right. have... That's he right. doesn't he's an have... Eight. Yeah. He's an 8. But he doesn't have the physicality. Even if he's a midget and weighs 50 kilos... He's amazing defensively considering his, his lack of physical power. But that's not enough. So now we don't have that possession game anymore because, um, well, we don't have Mota and, and, and Tuchel decided to get away with the 4-3-3. Uh, 
Emery didn't. Emery tried to hold on to that 4-3-3 with low Celso. God, that didn't go right. And then, of course, yesterday, who played like a king with Betis? Yeah. Uh, Celso. Did you see that? Did you yeah. see that goal? <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw the goal and, and the assist. And the assist he did. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. So, and Verratti Mota had the third part, a third uh, 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 key player in that, in that 4-3-3 midfield, Machidi. Box to box. Box to box and also constant pressing. Hitting, 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 hitting. He wasn't, you know, 6'5", 200 pounds when he was hitting you, but he's he's an athlete and he had that incredible activity. Um, uh, Conte has a similar activity, actually. Conte maybe even more than Matrini ever had. He wasn't great. He had square feet, but my God, his activity, his defensive activity, and his box-to-box abilities, we don't have now. So now we don't have a possession midfield. We don't have a dynamic midfield. We don't have... <laughs> a ball-winning midfield. We don't have a ball-winning... Well, Rabiot is good at, at winning the ball back, actually. He does a lot of interceptions. He has no clue what to do. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't have the art of Mota. When he gets the ball, he's going to slow everything down. Rabiot is good at one thing, box-to-box. He cannot really box to box in a four two three one. I mean, it's a. Uh, we can't play like this. I am pretty. Guillaume, you have me remembering how many times Malta would win the ball, and then you'd see his head go up. You he know, up. because he saw he saw that he had that vision, right? And he, he would give you yeah. that mid range or long pass. He had that right. ability. I just, I just remembered it. Yeah, it, it exactly. happened once, it happened a hundred times. Exactly. You know? he, he gets the ball back and then he looks up and he, he's got the technical skills skills and the experience to make That's a decision, right. to get the information and do the right thing. Rabiot cannot do both at the same time. So we're talking about fractions of a second. That's it. Now you have Alan and Fabian on your ass. And you lose the duel. Rabiot lost so many duels. We lost so many second balls during this game. We do not have a midfield that can be challenging to a 4-4-2 midfield with this type of players. We will see this type of midfield, of, of midfield with two very, at least two, very active defensive midfielders, plus a more attacking type of, of player in that midfield that helps in defense. They had Calderon, who had a solid game. Calderon was blocking his wing. Calderon gave the assist to Martins. He's used to his team. He's not a genius. He's a solid player, and that was enough to outplay us. So we talked about the first, um, the first half. Second half was pretty different. Um, thank you to Shell first to, to do the change. Now it's easy to say we definitely should have started in a 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, what did you see in the second half that you liked? Um, I saw quite a few things, and that's why we cannot start crying and be completely pessimistic and, and desperate. There's still a little bit of hope, not much, but the second half was much better. Uh, James, what did, you, what did you see in the second half that you liked? And um, you seem to be, from the get-go uh, when you started the podcast, a little optimistic. Like, do you still have 
had hoped. Um, tell us about the second half. Yeah, so with the second half, I I enjoyed seeing. Well, I shouldn't say enjoyed because, like you said, I think we should have started this way. But I was happy to see that we actually made some kind of tactical adjustment um, in recent years that seemed like that was unheard of. Um, but I think moving to the three four three really helped take some of the pressure off of our back line because we had some guys uh, forward that they had to respect. They kind of had to push them into the low block. Um, but speaking of being hopeful, things that I uh, liked, I want to give a shout out to Musa Diaby because he was subbed in and it could have been very easy for him at the time just to play, mm-hmm. be out there, not make you know, try not to make a mistake and be content with having a, a good game himself and taking that to the bank. What I saw when he came on was that he was not content with losing that game. He came in and tried to be effective immediately. He, he stepped on the field with purpose and he was trying to turn the mm-hmm. game around as soon as he got out there. Uh, and I applaud him for that. He, he gave us a little bit of a spark that we needed um, towards the end there. And uh, as I mentioned... Too bad his first touch. Too bad his first touch was not great. But you're completely right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the the intent and the mindset of I'm going to be a difference maker out here, I think James is absolutely right. And I think, uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, that once we did get a little bit of magic, I would have... I expected to the team to say, all right, we got the draw. Let's let's just protect it and get out of here and hopefully this never happens again. Um but there was there seemed to be a flip that was switched where we went from we're gonna lose to we've got the draw to even though there's three minutes left or two and a half minutes left, I think we can go put another one in the back of the net and walk out of here with three points. And that those two things, Diaby coming in with purpose and a mentality that we can go take this, even though time was was a factor and was playing against us at that moment, gave me just a little bit of hope that maybe next time we walk out and we have that intensity from the start, that we don't wait until 90 plus two minutes to decide that we need to start taking it to a team. All right, let's um, let's talk about hope. Um, again, I'm very stricken because we don't have a team. Um, yeah. We have a team in League One, but we don't have a team in the Champions League. Uh, there's, it, it's hard to accept. It's hard to swallow, but that's a reality. The yeah, hope- I want to make a I want to make a a point here that I purposely chose the word hope. And not optimism. I okay. think there's a stark difference here. <laughs> that's <laughs> I think that's hope a yes. and not optimism. That's a that's a subtlety, um, but, but yeah, I see exactly what what you mean. There is an important important distinction. Very important. Um, so we cannot play in a four two three one against top Champions League teams. Uh, Napoli is probably a top ten, top twelve team. Um, when you look at Paris Saint-Germain, 
during that game. We're not. We are not. We may have Neymar. We have, may have Mbappé. We are not even a top 10 team. Because we don't have the tools. When you have a Rabiot and we, when you have a Verratti, they can be put in, co- in good conditions if they have players in the midfield that will compensate for their lacks. Lacks of physicality by Verratti. Lack of football IQ by Rabiot. Well, in the 4-4-2, we would have a, a, a beast. Again, put Ndombele in that team. A very active player. And suddenly you see Verratti being more of a Verratti and you see Rabiot being more of a Rabiot. Rabiot can do these great runs up front. When he, when he starts boxer boxing, Rabiot is excellent. Then he's Champions League great. When Rabiot is told, get the ball back, give it to this guy. He can do it. When he's in a 4-2-3-1 and he gets the ball back and he's looking at Verratti and there's Allen and Fabian around Verratti, he cannot give the ball to Verratti. Who is going to give the ball to? So we don't have the players to do a 4-2-3-1 um, in, against really, really good teams. Well, let's not do a 4-2-3-1 then. So we have to give to Shell a bone here. I mean... The World Cup was a mess for, for Paris Saint-Germain. Some players came back early, some players came back late, some were exhausted, some were okay. He, he, he spent less time with his players than those players spent with their national teams. Uh, Meunier spent more time with the, the Belgian national team training than with, with Paris Saint-Germain so far. We're asking a lot from Tuchel, and he doesn't have the tools. We have, in, in 10 days, a critical game against Napoli. Let's talk about what we can do against Napoli in 10 days. Since I'm the host and I got the mic, I'm going to speak first. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what I think we should do and uh, what should be the lineup. And then, and then you guys say whatever you, you guys want to say. Uh, Areola should not be, the, the boat is sinking. You got to take tough decisions. It's sinking. Um, we got to be ultra pragmatic. Tuchel has to be, uh, to be ex- extra pragmatic. Areola didn't step up. The, the boat was sinking against Napoli. The only guy who stepped up, Neymar did what he could, and that's a lot. He did a lot. Meunier stepped up. Having a great goalkeeper that night would have been a wonderful thing. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like Areola is ready to be a great goalkeeper yet. Maybe he will. I think he will. Not now. Buffon is back into the goals. Now, hopefully, Silva is back. And we play with Silva and Kerr. Silva becomes a sort of sweeper, anticipating and controlling his defense. And we have Kerr and Kimpembe hitting high. Mertens is going back into midfield. Who's right behind him? Kimpembe. Hello, hello. And Silva is the sweeper telling Kimpembe and Kerr to go hit high when it's the right time to do it. He's great at that. Kerr actually was very interesting in the second half against Napoli. I loved what he did. And by doing that, by hitting high and coming back, hitting high and coming back, he earned those fractions of a second that we needed to get back into the game. And now Napoli is not ahead that much. Now they, we are on them. Also, we're on them because we have four people in midfield. Thomas Meunier in the second half went up, and Thomas Meunier can't 
definitely play as a midfielder. Um, we need Marquinhos back in midfield. I know it's not great, but Marquinhos, by his activity, at least he has that defensive mindset. He had shown that he improved as a DM. Uh, in the last two games, he was, he was played as a defensive midfielder. He showed a lot of um, improvement quickly. Great. He's the best, worst solution. A midfield with Rabio, Verratti, Meunier, Marquinhos would be a lot better. Not as catastrophic as what we had. And then up front, we can have Neymar as a 10. We can have Mbappé on the right. Di Maria on the left. And our beloved Cavani on the bench where he belongs right now. We cannot have Cavani uh, perform like he did. So now we resolve a lot of issues because now Mbappé is no longer on the right wing leaving boulevards to the opponent because he's not doing the slightest defensive effort. Now he's full axes. Behind him, we have a midfield. And behind that midfield, we have pit bulls hitting high. Now we have a game. We can play low and counter-attack. Now there's a hope that at least we come back from, uh, from Napoli with a point, which would keep us alive, or maybe three points. Now I'm going to shut up. And I'm going to let you talk about how you see the second game. Whoever wants to uh, speak first. Go ahead, Mel. I, I will, uh, if, I was, if I was too shell, um, I'm putting my coach hat on now, my manager hat on. I, you know, you've got to establish culture. You, know, you can't be um, giving post-match interviews and saying things like, quote, I do not know why we cannot play the same way for 90 minutes. Well, it's your job to know why and to fix it, right? Um, so if I'm too shell, I, I go to the team and I say, listen, you know, we are undefeated in League 1. We have two matches now with uh, at Marseille and at home against Lille. And I'm going to be using those matches to evaluate who plays at the European level on this team. Um, and so I'm going to be expecting uh, a certain level of hustle. Um, I'm going to be expecting a certain focus on simplicity of passing. I'm going to be looking for uh, a level of commitment to get back and support each other as teammates. Uh, we have to transform from this club of individual folks with class uh, to a team that's willing to do the small things for each other every single time. And you better show me that over the next two matches if you think you're going to be playing on the pitch for this club at Naples. Right? So that would be the first thing I would do. Uh, the second thing I would do is I think you're right, Guillaume. I think you got Thiago Silva back, and you've got to, you've got to educate Marquinhos to that defensive midfield role because it frees up everything else. Everything else becomes freer. Uh, to everybody else is better positioned to do what they do well, whatever that is. Uh, if Marquinhos is in the defensive midfielder role, um, you give him the destroyer role. You tell him don't don't rack up too many fouls, but you you've got to win these balls back, and that frees up everybody else to do what they need to do. Um, and then if in those two matches Cavani hasn't found his form, then he is going to have to take a seat. He may have to take a seat before that, depending on what happens on the 28th at, at Marseille. Um, 
but if he has found his form, um, then uh, you've got uh, uh, what I call the good problem uh, as a manager, which is, you know, how do you slot the four players uh, that you might want to play into those three remaining slots? Um, and if he doesn't, then you know what the configuration is going to be. But we've got to deploy these league on matches um, and see them not as matches against Marseille or matches against Leo, but matches against our better selves. Yeah. Right. We've got to play against the ideal PSG and measure ourselves against that. Right. And then by doing that, then you have the level of intensity, uh, commitment, teamwork, team culture building that you need to go into Europe. Right. Where we for far too often we tend to play down. Uh, and then, you know, commentators and analysts alike are right in, in, in indicting us for failing to lift our game uh, uh, against Napoli. Well, you know, when Manchester City or Real Madrid or Barcelona play teams in their league and beat them 5-6-0, um, it's because they're playing against their better selves. They have an ideal in their mind as to how the game should go, and they're playing against that. They're not playing against the team that's in front of them. Uh, and we needed to have the same mentality. So that's the things that I would do as the coach in between now and then um, and to give us the best possible chance to not be in the Europa League. Right. Do you think it's possible in 10 days? I, I don't think it's possible. I mean, if you're talking about um, a new culture, that, that, that's going to take time. That's what I'm seeing well, I, now. I, I think we, we need more time. as bad as your last game or next game. You know, And I think that you can start that work right now. I mean, it has to be started. If you're too shell, it's the only way forward for success anyway. So if he hasn't started it, that's a problem. But that's what I would do in the next couple of games. James, yeah. what would you do? You know, um, listening to Mel, I don't know that I have any other solution than exactly what he said. Um, Yeah, the, the, I agree. Those matches need to be exhibitions and tryouts for for competitions in Europe. Um, and, I mean, it, I don't even know that I have anything else to say other than just reiterating exactly what he said. This is, mm. I think he's right. Um, and whether, I mean, whether you have to look at Nsoki over Bernat, Right. You know, there, there's, there's things that you – there's things that we need that we're not getting. Right. And these are the only – I think this is that's the only way that you're going to be able to to find those pieces. Um, mm. I had forgotten I do, about, about Nsoki. Thank you, James. It's, um, it's not a bad point at all. Why no, not? That's an, uh, why that's not? an outstanding point. The ship, the ship is freaking sinking. We need we need people to step up, and then Soki has shown that pressure doesn't seem to affect him that much. Go, mm -hmm. Keep keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah, and my my only other point was with Draxler. Um, uh -huh. I wish that he played with a little more aggression. I feel like he gets out there and he's a little timid. He's playing not to make a mistake instead of playing to make an impact. Very much the opposite of Diaby. And I think Draxler is a much better player than what he has shown. Right. And I don't know that anybody inside of the club has said that to him yet. And if not, these are the two games to find that out, to find to figure out, you know, 
what are we made of? What are each one of our opponents made of? And when you have, when somebody hits you in the mouth, how are you going to respond? And like Mel said, these are the two games that we need to take and figure that out right now. Because the longer you wait to, to get started on this, the you're going to look up one day, you're going to be in the Europa League, and it's going to be too late because everybody's trying to jump ship. This, the ship has already sank. You hit the iceberg, and you know we'll probably be on the on the podcast talking about how everybody needs to be fired. So, I, I think I think we need to get started on it right now. Well, um, there's another aspect um, for Tuchel is the people above him. Um, are they going to give him the room to maneuver? Um, Tuchel during his press conference after the game. Uh, spent a lot of energy trying to control his own uh, anger. He was very, very angry. Um, probably against himself too. That obviously the game should have started in a 3-4-3. In three, three. And by the, the, the fact that a lot of players were uh, subpar and didn't step up for this, for this game... The Marseille game is coming up. It'd be a wonderful thing if Tuchel could, uh, quote-unquote, punish a few players. It's kind of perfect. It's the classic. So, you know, one of the biggest games of the season in League One. Put Mbappé on the bench. Put Cavani on the bench. Put Bernat on the bench. Play up front with uh, uh, Draxler, Neymar, and... and, um, and Timothy, and Timothy Weir. Oh, put put Weir on the bench instead of you know not on, not even on on the on the on in a Worcester. and uh, uh, yeah, try Ensoki. Transmit a message to the team. Your behavior was unacceptable. You, you, and you. These three players are here. You cannot do that. You're going to miss the Marseille game and think over it. Maybe it's going to provoke something in your mind. Will Nasser and the powers that be at Paris Saint-Germain allow Tuchel to put Cavani and Mbappé on the bench if Tuchel decides it's a, it's a good thing? I, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Then, then your culture, the, the beginning of a culture can, can happen. Then we have a, a coach with power um, and assertion and, and he can change things. Uh, if if Mbappé, whatever he does, is still a, a, a definite starter at Paris Saint-Germain. Whatever happens, it's a problem. If uh, Cavani, because he is Cavani, um, can behave like this, as apparently, so I'm, I'm being a little hard with him because apparently I was told that uh, with his national team, he said that's two games, he was showing a lot of energy and activity on the pitch. He's, he's in a confidence um, uh, drought, but that doesn't mean that he can't run, track back, and, and press like he usually does. And he doesn't do it with us, but he does it with Uruguay. Bench. So we shall see. Um, like you said, let's, let's be um, hopeful. But we can, can we? Is that possible to be both hopeful, hopeful and pessimistic? Yeah, I guess so, right? That's a good position to be. Can we? Uh, yeah. Can, yeah, that's exactly the that's exactly the right <laughs> position to be. We're pessimistic because we live in reality, 
but we have hope because there is opportunity, right? But we're not going to put our money down <laughs> on that hope. We're going to we're going to pay attention to what the reality has been. But yeah, pessimistic and hopeful. I think that's a great title for this, this episode. <laughs> so, um, little preview of future podcasts um, by, and we're coming to the end of this one. Um, by using scenarios, uh, we don't get out of this group. We finish third. We back to, bounce back into the Europa League. FFP is still on our ass. Um, hard. We're losing 30 to 40 million euros now in our balance sheet. Um, can Neymar and Mbappé accept the fact to be in Europa League? Probably not. Neymar loses face. And as for a transfer at the end of the season, woo, now we have another club. But you know, the scenario, we are bounced back into Europa League and we win it. Oh, interesting. Yes, you are a Paris Saint-Germain fan. Be ready for this type of complete mayhem and drama and, and despair and hope. It's, 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 um, it's a love-hate relationship. And I love-hate my club and I love-hate my team and I will always be behind it. Um, this is how it is. Uh, any one of you want to add something? Anything else? Um, I think just to... Add to Emil's point one more time. Um, I encourage everyone to watch these next two matches with a little bit of different lens. Um, not just win-loss, goal differential, but truly on player performance and see if we can find some kind of difference over the next 10 days that will help us not be relegated to the to the Europa League. That's right. We're not we're not in the practice sessions, but we can we can deduce the decisions and mindset of the coach and his impact on the players, I think, over these next couple of games. And that will be very instructive in going to Naples. It's going to be very interesting. It's also it's it's, it's pessimistic, hopeful and interesting. It's going to be a hell of a game. That's for sure. A hell of a game to watch. I mean, now um, the the all three games coming up are going to be. Amazing to watch. Maybe in a bad way, maybe in a good way. Probably both. Yeah, I mean, everything that everything in the run up to the end of November is going to tell us about this club. Mm-hmm. Everything, because we're done essentially um, with uh, Napoli and Liverpool by the end of November. Um, we also have played Marseille, and Monaco by the and end Lille. of November, and Lille, and Lille. Oh my God! Right? Oh, so, and by the way, um, gorgeous to watch right now, Lille. I don't know if it's going to last, but what a beautiful, well-oiled mechanism they, uh, they have. Uh, they, they will give us a lot of trouble, no doubt. Okay. Uh, we've been producing uh, quite a lot of podcasts. I don't know if it's going to last. Let's just enjoy it. We have a much bigger team of podcast members. Uh, it's possible that David takes over for the next one with Matthew, with Cose, uh, for the post-Marseille game. And as usual, um, the PSG small talk is still around with the amazing Mark. Thank you for listening to us, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Who says it's what you needed, when there was no one to call?